Amen. Thank you, Alicia. That's a beautiful song. El Shaddai means God Almighty or God All-Powerful. Uh, if you are here and you have a bulletin, you have the words there at the end of the uh, service, I will share with you what those other Hebrew words mean too, those words that you've sung and you think, what am I singing anyway? Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about those as well. And uh, if you uh, do not have the bulletin, the church's app will give you the notes as well as the words to the song uh, so that you can follow along. You can make some notes about that. Uh, if you see on the bulletin the Hebrew there, that is El Shaddai, and it's written uh, backwards for us from right to left. But that's what we want to talk about today, God being all-powerful. God being the one who created everything out of nothing, God who can do anything, God who has no limits, God who has called us to be in relationship with him. I encourage you to open your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 24 and we'll read a large passage, a passage that you probably are not that familiar with. You may have skimmed through the story and wasn't sure exactly what all the story was saying, what God was trying to teach us. But I want us to spend some time on that today and dissect this. And uh, it's not that difficult of a story, but you do have several characters that you need to uh, think about and listen to and be prepared to hear uh, what happened to them and how they responded to God, either positively or negatively. Let me give you a little bit of background. The nation of Syria is north of Israel. And Syria and Israel were in constant battle for years and years and years. There was animosity, even as there's some animosity there today. And so Syria came into the nation of Israel and destroyed almost all of their villages, all their towns, all of their cities, except for the capital city of Samaria. So that's our background. That's our story. We've got Syria coming against Israel, and they are now under siege. They're following, uh, they're, they're circling, encircling the uh, city of Samaria, and they're trying to defeat it. Back then, if you had a walled city, about the best way to defeat that city was to camp around it with enough men so that nobody could get in, no food could get in, and nobody could escape that city. Uh, similar to what happened over in Vicksburg during the Civil War. Uh, the Grant's forces encamped around there and bombed them and tried to get closer and tried to get closer. And finally, the people there in Vicksburg surrendered because they did not have enough food. That was what was going on here in Samaria. The Israelites were about to be defeated by the nation of Syria. So follow along as I read, and I'll give a little bit of commentary as we follow through this passage as well. Verse 24 of 2 Kings chapter 6. Afterward, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. So he had thousands and thousands of men camping all the way around, uh, hemming in this city of Samaria, the last city in all of Israel to stand. And there was a great famine in Samaria as they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a fourth of a part of a cab of doves dung for five shekels of silver. 
The people were really desperate, weren't they? They had nothing to eat except for stuff that should not be eaten. Skip down to verse 32. Elisha was sitting in his house. Elisha, of course, is a prophet of God. Uh, Elisha is an individual who did what God told him to do, listened to God, who sought to serve God appropriately. And the elders were sitting with Elisha. They were not with the king, but they were with Elisha. He was talking to them. They were learning. They were thinking about what God was doing. I'm sure they were spending time in prayer as well. Now the king, this is the king of Israel. Not sure exactly who he is. We have some guesses, but that doesn't matter. The king of Israel, he dispatched a man from his presence. But before the messenger, we'll call him the captain because that's what he's called later in the story. Before the captain arrived, Elisha said to the elders, do you not see how this murderer, he's talking about the king of Israel, has sent to take off my head? So Elisha's there talking and he knows before the messenger, the captain even gets there that he's going to come and he's going to try to kill Elisha. Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door fast against him is not the sound of his master's feet behind him. He is doing the king's bidding. The king wants to kill me. The king wants to get rid of me. The king wanted to get rid of Elisha because he was mad. He was mad at God. He was mad at God because God had allowed the Syrians to come and encamp and besiege their, their city. He was mad because he was running out of food. He was mad because he knew he was about to be defeated. He was mad because many of his people had already starved to death. And so he was angry. And he takes out his anger on God. And he takes out his anger on God's individual, his prophet, his man, Elisha. So he sent this captain to go kill Elisha. And while he was speaking, this is Elisha, while Elisha was still talking with them, the messenger, the captain came down to Elisha and he said, the trouble is from the Lord. He's saying it's God's fault. It is God's fault. He is echoing what his master, uh, the king, was saying. It's God's fault that we are in this predicament. God could have done things differently, should have done things differently. Therefore, we're mad with God. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So the captain is going over the line here, isn't he? He was saying that it's God's fault, and therefore I'm going to be mad with you, and I'm going to try to follow through and do what my master, the king, has said, and try to kill Elisha. But Elisha speaks up, and he says, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So here Elisha is saying, God is going to intervene. Things are going to get much better. The siege is going to be over. We're going to have food. And instead of the captain rejoicing, he's still angry with God. He still speaks out against God. Then the captain whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? What he was saying is, there's no way that God or anybody else can make things better. It's over. We're defeated. We've lost. And we're angry with God. God can't even do a miracle big enough to provide for us food. He'd gone way over the line. 
But Elisha said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not, what? Eat of it. You'll see this miracle, but you will not enjoy this miracle. So he was predicting something was going to happen to the captain. Let's follow along the rest of the story. Verse 3, we've got some other characters, other players in this story. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate. This is the gate of Samaria. The lepers were not allowed in the city. So they're outside the gate. They were begging for food. They were hoping for food. Of course, they were going to get the food last, weren't they? Because they had so little. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. So if we try to get into Samaria, even if they allow us in, we're not going to be having any food there. We're going to die there. And if we sit here, we die also. We'll starve to death. So now, come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. Our only choice is to try to go to the enemy, to try to beg them to take us in, to allow us to have some food. So they arose at twilight, to go to the camp of the Syrians. Why do you think they waited till twilight? It'd be more difficult for the Syrians to realize that they were lepers. It'd be harder to see them. And so they're going to try to get into the camp and see if they won't show them some kindness. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was what? No one there. The camp was empty. Thousands and thousands and thousands of men are all gone. And they didn't even know they were gone. They had not heard them leave, but they were gone when they came to the camp of the Syrians. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sounds of chariots and of horses. Amazing, isn't it? God had done a great miracle. He had sent this army that was about to capture, about to starve to death the people in Samaria. He had sent them running away in fear. They had heard the sounds of chariots and horses. No one else had heard the sound of that and the sound of a great army. So that they said to one another, behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. Certainly there was something going on. They thought, and so they're going to run away. So they fled away in the twilight and they abandoned their tents and their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and they ate and they drank. They gorged themselves. They finally had a meal and they had more than a meal. And they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and they hid them. And then they came back and they entered another tent and they carried off more things from it and they went and hid them. So now they have become wealthy while the Syrians had run away and the people in uh, Samaria didn't even realize what was going on. So they're doing this at night. Then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. And if we're silent and wait till morning, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. So they go back to the city. They go back to the gate where they sat, starving to death, and they call out. They came and they called to the gatekeepers of the city, and they told them, we came to the camp of the Syrians. And behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but horses tied and donkeys tied in tents 
as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and they told it within the king's household. So they sent that message all the way to the king. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. No, they know that we're hungry. Therefore, they've gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. So here, the king, who was so angry with God, who was so angry with Elisha, doesn't even want to hear this good news. He immediately thinks the good news can't be true. And so he is saying that it's just a trick. It's just a trick. He has given up. And one of his servants said, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel. In other words, if we stay here, we don't have anything. We're going to die. We've got to at least check out this story. Like those who have already perished, let us send and see. So they took two horsemen, and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians, saying, go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan, talking about the Jordan River. And behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned, and they told the king what they had found. Amazing. The camp was completely desolate, except for the food that they needed, except for gold, except for silver, except for animals, except for all of these goods that they were about to inherit because the Syrians had run away. Then the people went out, and they plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour sold for what? A shekel. Hmm, we've heard that somewhere before. And two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to be in charge of the gate. So he was to go to the gate there of the city, and he was to help people get in and out so that they didn't go out too fast or come in too fast or do something they shouldn't do. And the people, what? They trampled this captain in the gate so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, two seas of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a sea of fine flour for a shekel about this time tomorrow in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, ha, impossible. If the Lord himself should make the windows of heaven, could such a thing be? And Elisha had said to him, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not, what, eat of it. So it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate, and he died. So in this story, we see several individuals, and let's talk about them briefly, and then get, let's get right on to the points of this passage. First of all, God is the one who's in charge. The Syrians thought they were in charge, didn't they? They had encamped around this city. They were about to take this city. They were sitting out there, and they were happy, and they had plenty to eat, and they were rejoicing because they were about to win a great victory over their hated enemy, the Israelites. But the Syrians were not in charge, even though they thought they were. The king of Israel was certainly not in charge, even though he wanted to be in charge. His captain was not in charge. He couldn't even follow out the king's orders before when he went to Elisha, he saw those elders there, and I guess he became afraid to kill Elisha. 
The four lepers certainly were not in charge, although they wanted to be. They were hungry. They were starving. They were outcast. They wanted help, but they were not in charge. Not even Elisha was in charge. This good man of God who had done what God told him to do over and over and over again, he was not in charge. Certainly, God was in charge. And God's in charge today. He's in charge of our situations, our circumstances. First of all, let's see that God is in charge even of our problems. God is in charge of our problems. God doesn't cause all of our problems. In fact, I know that I cause most of my own problems, and I'm not going to blame God. But still, he's in charge because he can help me out through those problems. He can work through those problems. He can minister to me through those problems. God is in charge he is greater than all of my problems. The situation here that the Israelites found themselves in was horrible. They had already seen some people starve to death. They had seen people uh, no longer having any food, uh, doing stupid things, doing foolish things. We did not read all of those verses, did we? Uh, we did that. We didn't read them on purpose, did we, Percy? So you might want to go back and read those later. And you see some of the other things that stupid people did when they were in a terrible circumstance. So God was there, even though they were in the midst of terrible problems. Uh, they were so uh, in such a bad situation. They were starving. They were eating the heads of donkeys, an unclean animal. And they were eating other things that nobody should ever eat because they needed so badly to have food. The king of Israel, he was angry with God. He was mad with God. God had done great things before. He had seen them. God had done great things through Elisha. He had seen them. But now he decided that God was not worthy of his worship. God was not worthy for him to call out to him. He was angry with God. Sometimes you and I get like that today, don't we? We've seen God do great things in our lives. We've seen how he's protected us and cared for us and ministered to us. But then we face another problem, another situation, and we get angry with God. And we, instead of worshiping him, we call out to others and try to solve the problems ourselves. God knows all of our problems, whatever they are, and he's in charge, and he can mend even those problems. Whether our problems are our friends, our family, Physical circumstances, job, health, doesn't matter. God is in charge. That's the beginning step for us to recognize that, for us to realize that, yes, God is there. God is there in the midst of my problems. But also we see from this passage that God is in charge of our needs. He knows what our needs are. Let's look at the lepers for a second. Four lepers. They were outcasts. They didn't have anything. They were outside the city. They were just about to starve to death. They'd given up hope. And then one of them came up with a plan to go check and, and see if we can get some help out of the enemy, out of those Syrians, out, out of those people who live in those tents over there. Let's see if they will help us. The lepers had the least of all of the people. You and I were in a situation where we didn't have much food. We would take the food, we would hoard it, we would uh, ration that food for ourselves, and we probably would not do very much to help somebody else. And certainly the lepers were in that situation. But God knew the needs of all of the individuals in this story. 
He knew the needs of the people who were in the midst of that city. He knew the needs of the people who were out in the camps, the Syrians. God knew their needs and was caring for them and was ministering to them and was about to do a terrific miracle. God is in charge of and controlling our needs today, and he's caring for us. No matter what that need is, God is there. Whether it's physical or spiritual, God is there, and he wants to minister to us. And lastly, we see that God is in charge of even the smallest details in our lives. He was in charge of the sounds, wasn't he? He knew that he could manipulate a situation and change it completely. If I was God, I would not have solved the problem for the Israelites the way that God chose to do it. I would have sent in some bombers, and I would have tried to have blasted away all of those Syrians. I would have come up with some other plan. I would have got my tanks out and fought them and, and made them run that way. I would have done something dramatic. But God didn't choose to do that. I don't know why. Probably there's many reasons. One of those reasons is so that when the Israelites were saved, when the city was saved, everybody had to say it came from whom? God, and not from them. God was the one who gave them the great victory. They had not gotten the victory by what they had done. They didn't even fight. The enemy was not even hurt in this situation. They just ran away. We see several years after this, another event similar to this. Do you remember when Jerusalem was surrounded, not by the Syrians, but by the Assyrians, right? And they had hundreds of thousands of men surrounding Jerusalem under siege. They were starving them out. And the people who loved God prayed to God, and God gave them a great victory. Their victory was a death angel that came, and it came through the camp of the Assyrians, and 185,000 Assyrians were killed in one night. And the rest of the Assyrians, they ran away. God is able to do great victories, great miracles, and he does them today because he loves us, because he cares for us. He is in charge. He's in control of our problems, our needs, even the smallest details, the sounds, the sounds. Nobody in the city heard these sounds of horses and chariots and a great army. Nobody heard it, but the Syrians, they heard it. They heard it, and they started saying to one another, what is that? And then they said, it's got to be, it's got to be hundreds and thousands of chariots coming and horses. It's got to be a huge army. They'll wipe us out. So they threw everything down, and they ran. And they ran. They dropped everything that they had. And then as they were running, they dropped more things that they had. And they crossed over the Jordan River and then went north and then went back up into Syria. They left everything there. And it was left there for the Israelites so that they had the food that they needed, so that they had clothing, they had tents, they had animals, they had all of this. God performed a great miracle in a tremendous way. He's in charge of even those sounds. It's amazing in our lives where we know that God has helped us before. God has done great things in our lives, 
and then we come to another problem and we think, well, how can we get out of this? Uh, how can we survive this? How can we deal with this problem? And we look around at friends and family or government and we say, you know, can you help us? And then maybe eventually we say, well, maybe we should call on God. Maybe we should talk to him. Maybe we should ask him to help us. We think we can get out of it ourselves. The lepers, they tried to get out of it. They tried to, to outsmart everybody and to go over to the Syrian side, go over to the enemy in order to try to live. And instead, they should have been running to whom? To God. How could we look for anybody else to help us when we have problems in our lives? How could we run to anyone or anything besides God himself? Because God is in charge, because God loves us, because God cares for us, therefore, we should first call to God. We should call out to God. The lepers, we didn't see them call out to God. We didn't see the king of Israel call out to God. We didn't see his captain call out to God. We certainly didn't see the Syrians, the enemy, calling out to God. But we did see Elisha calling out to God, didn't we? He was calling out to God. He was asking God to give him help, to minister to him. He was asking God to minister to the people and to care for the people. And then God gave him a revelation. We gave him two revelations and probably many more. He gave him the revelation that the king of Israel was sending a captain to come and to try to kill him. And so he did some things to try to protect himself. But God protected him in another way, didn't he? Then also he realized because of God's great wisdom that he gave him that tomorrow the problem would be solved that God would somehow do a great miracle, and then there would be plenty of food for everybody. It's amazing. He called out to God, and God gave him an answer. He called out to God, and God ministered to him. God does that in our lives today, doesn't he? We call out to God, and God ministers to us. He cares for us. He may not solve the problem the way we want, may not solve the problem as we think it should be solved, but he solves the problem. He cares for us. He provides for us. We must call out to God. And it's interesting to see when we call out to God, God gives us wisdom. God gives us understanding. God gives us insight. I don't know how many times in our lives, if we've been believers for a long period of time, that we have not had greater insight than we ever thought we could possibly have. We have insight today, don't we, that God is going to minister to us. He's going to provide for our physical needs, although we have problems, although we don't know exactly how he's going to work those details out. We know that God has done it because he's done it before. Let us rely on that today. We know that God is going to continue to work in the lives of those people we love that are not yet believers. And we're going to continue to have faith and continue to pray to God to do great miracles in their lives so that they might believe that Jesus is Lord. We know that God is going to care for us not only in this lifetime, but he's going to care for us in the lifetime to come. He's going to minister to us in a great way. And because of that, we have strong faith. Because of that, we can live our lives in victory, not in fear. God gives us a lot of wisdom if we call out to him. We allow him to work in our lives. 
But not only should we call to God, we should trust God. We should trust God. There's a difference. Sometimes we call out to God in desperation. Uh, some people call that uh, uh, foxhole Christians. They're calling out God, you know, please do something great here. And there's other times that you and I will call it to God, and we know that God's going to do a great miracle. We don't know exactly how he's going to do it. We don't know when he's going to do it. We don't know how he's going to do it. But we know that he's going to do a great miracle. And therefore, we trust him. We are sure that he's going to do that great work in our lives. Who else could we possibly trust? Elisha trusted God. The king certainly did not. His captain did not. The Syrians did not. The lepers, as far as we know, did not trust God. They trusted themselves, and they trusted the Syrians, and they trusted that somebody would intervene, but instead they should be running to God. It's interesting, not only would have I done the situation different than God, he did it the right way. I'm not saying that he didn't, because I would not have done it the right way. I would have tried to have had some kind of military victory. And here with the people starving, I probably would have tried some kind of airdrop, you know, like they did in uh, East Berlin, I mean, West Berlin, uh, when the Soviets, right after World War II, controlled that area, were trying to starve them into submission. You know, I'd say, well, we can get some kind of planes in here, and we can drop some food uh, to the Israelites, or we could drop some food to those people in West Berlin. Uh, God has a better way, doesn't he? God has a better way always, and we should run to that. Who else can we trust? In the Scripture, we see many individuals who trusted God, and God was faithful. David, before Goliath, trusted God. Daniel's friends, before the fiery furnace, continued to trust God. Abraham, as he prepared to sacrifice his special son, Isaac, trusted God. Let's trust God today that he's going to do a great work, that he's going to do a miracle, that he's going to be faithful, not only calling out to him, but trusting him, believing him in advance for what he's going to do. And lastly, we see from this passage of Scripture that we must serve God. We must serve God, not just call out to him, and hope that he does something good. Not just trust him that he will do something good, but then there's going to be action behind it. We're going to serve him. We're going to minister to him. We're going to work in his name, and we're going to faithfully work in his name. Here again, we only see one individual in this story that served God, and that was Elisha. It would have been very easy for Elisha to have given up also. Remember his predecessor, Elijah? There was one time where he gave up, wasn't it? Okay. Uh, but here we don't see Elisha giving up. We see him continuing to be faithful, continuing to serve, continuing to trust God throughout that situation, even though it was not easy. And I think that's going to be true in our lives. As we trust God, as we serve God, there'll be times that it will not be easy, but it will be the right thing, and God will care for us. God will minister to us. Elisha not only had to worry about starving to death like everybody else in the town, he also had to worry about the king, who was a little bit crazy right now, and who was trying to kill him. But yet he stayed there. He continued to be faithful. He continued to serve. He continued to minister to other people, bringing them into his house, talking with them, helping them, helping them to have faith as well. 
we must serve God so that we might be the people that God has called us to be, even when it's not easy. We must submit to God, realizing that he's in charge, realizing that he's got a plan, and it's going to be a good plan, and it probably will be different than our plan. That's just because our plan's not that good. But God's plan is great. God has proven himself over and over and reliable in our lives. How could we not serve him? How could we not be excited to trust him? I read this the other day, and I wrote it down. I thought it was good. It was on Facebook. It said, if the sea couldn't stop Moses, if a wall couldn't stop Joshua, if a giant couldn't stop David, if death couldn't stop Jesus, then nothing can stop us from serving God. God is good. He loves us. He cares for us. He is almighty, and therefore we serve, we honor him. As I told you, I was going to share with you the meaning of the rest of those Hebrew words in that song, El Shaddai. So let me try to do that for you. It says, El Shaddai, El Shaddai, which is God Almighty, God Almighty, Eloyona Na'adonai, means highest God, greatest God, O Lord. So highest God, O Lord, is the words to that next line. Age to age, you're still the same by the power of your name. El Shaddai, El Shaddai, God Almighty, God Almighty, and then Urkamaka uh, Na Adonai. And that is not a really good Hebrew term there. <laughs> but it means something like, My strength, O Lord, my strength, O Lord. So now you'll know what you're singing or what you're hearing when you listen to these words. God is good, He loves us. He's great. He's all-powerful. Let us call to him. Let us trust him. Let us serve him. After the service, you may want to talk to somebody about that relationship with God that you have or maybe even some questions about our congregation. If you're online, you can do that. There's ways there that are available for you to ask for some help, ask for someone to get in touch with you. If you're here in this congregation, uh, after the service to my left, uh, Next Steps Corner, you can go over there and you can speak with the minister or speak with one of the elders about how God is faithful, how God is good, and how God wants to do something great in your life. Let us pray. O oh Lord, El Shaddai, great and all-powerful God. We trust you. We want to serve you. We want to honor you. Lord, help us when we get afraid, when things are difficult, and when things are really, really difficult, to run to you with complete confidence that you're there, that you're going to care for us now and forever and ever. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me show you.